Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. Let's jump in. Welcome to episode 81. On this episode, I'm joined by a UK powerhouse by the name of Vernon Richards. Vernon is a coach and tester who helps organizations, teams, and individuals understand the relationship between quality and testing to help them build better products and deliver more effective services. He started out in tech in 2002, testing video games on PS2, Xbox, and PC. It may not sound like a real job, but it is true. And since then, his work has spanned a variety of domains from financial services to e-commerce to F1 teams. Vernon is currently a senior expert quality engineer at a health tech company. He also consults on quality and testing through Abode of Quality. A big fan of community, Vernon has hosted events all over the world and presented at meetups and conferences in the UK and abroad. He also delivers keynote speeches and workshops on the topics of coaching, agile and software quality. So on this episode, Vernon and I chat about his career path, roles and resources that you, the listener, can utilize if you're a tester or want to take that path. And he imparts some wonderful wisdom due to his 20 plus year career in tech. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Now let's get it. Welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. Today, I'm joined with someone from on the other side of the pond, Vernon Richards. Vernon, so happy to have you. Greetings. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm very honored. Looking forward to it. Yes. Let's start off with giving listeners an introduction of you. So you describe yourself as a person who helps delivery teams understand the relationship between quality and testing so that they can improve their products. So I want you to first start with breaking down. What does that mean? Gosh, oh my gosh. You might have to stop me from talking here, Dino. Okay. So my role traditionally has been a software tester on a team. So what, how I like to describe that is I'm, I'm trying to make sure that what we're building works. Okay. Now looking for bugs and making sure that something works, in my opinion, is not the same thing as quality. So testing and quality are related, but they're not the same thing mm-hmm. because you could make something that is bug free that nobody wants oh, or is unusable or mm-hmm. is, I don't know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can play around with that. And so helping teams figure that out and actually put that into practice is what I like to do. And like where I've ended up in my career over the course of the two decades plus that I've been doing it. I know what you're thinking. Two decades, he's too youthful and handsome to be doing this for two decades. But it's true. It's facts. 20, 20 plus years of doing this. So that's what it is. So it starts with software testing. That's at the core. And then we expand it and we take those skills mm-hmm. and we use them all over the place. So I recently described it to a friend of mine as we start out looking for bugs in the product and then we end up looking for bugs in the system or bugs in the organization. Oh, so when you say finding bugs in the organization, 
Let's break that down further because I know there's a difference between the quality assurance versus quality engineers. So I just mm-hmm. want to take that even like a step further of when you say bugs in the organization. My anecdata, this is not a peer-reviewed study of any kind, but <laughs> what I think I'm, I've noticed over the years is that people start off in a software testing role. So they start off and they're focused on, I'm going to look for some bugs in this product and I'm going to work with my team, my immediate delivery team to do that. Mm-hmm. But they'll immediately start saying things like, you know, this would be easier to test if there was some automated way I could create the test data. Like that would just make it easier. Or this would be easy if I could spin up my own environment. Or this would be easier if the requirements weren't completely vague and in a weird, you know what I mean? So, and you start realizing that actually I can get more leverage out of my testing if I start to tackle these other things which from first glance are not, I'm going to sit here and interact with the product, me interacting with the product. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's like, okay, how can I take these testing skills and increase the leverage on the testing that I'm doing? And even sometimes you may, you may help your teams and your businesses kind of not build a thing because there isn't any demand there. So in a way, it's like setting up better testing protocols because in a way it can affect other people, but you want to make sure that you have the right environments and the right things to actually test and provide quality to the organization that you're working with. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think that's accurate. You made me think of the word friction. It's almost like first instance, what you find yourself doing after you've been doing testing for you know a year or two or three or however long is you start noticing the friction in the system mm-hmm. and you start saying everything would be easier if I could eliminate the friction. And a lot of people start going after that wherever it manifests itself. I feel like anyone who's worked with software knows that friction that you're talking about. You're damn right. (laughs) Because there's like no real way to say what it is. You just know it exists. Yeah. And as soon as somebody mentions a particular manifestation of this friction that they're coming up to, you see the other people who've experienced that. They're like, oh my God, yes. Mm-hmm. And they're like, like, yeah, I know that thing. I just dealt with that yesterday. Like, <laughs> right. So, mm-hmm. Yes. So we all know the friction that we're talking about. So I'm glad we're aligned there. But where I do mm-hmm. want to further align is your role itself and the responsibilities that you actually have. So technically, your title is a senior expert quality engineer. So what does that really mean? Because we know we have a lot of titles in tech, but what does it really mean? And what do you do in the day to day? That particular title always makes me chuckle. So I work in a company that makes a, what's the right way to say, a biotech kind of thing like telehealth. So we make a product that helps people generate leads on conditions that they may be suffering from. So our application will prompt the user to say, okay, what conditions are you suffering from? Like what symptoms and this, that, and the other, how old are you and this, that. And then we will make suggestions about potential conditions that people may be dealing with. And then we, so we have a consumer facing side and enterprise facing side of that. So what I do on a day-to-day, the kind of things that I'm worried about is, you know, at the basic level, do the features that we are delivering, do they work? Mm. Do they meet the requirements of our target audience or our target customer? And then on top of that is that friction piece that we're talking about. It's like, how well are we working as a team? How effective is the testing that we're doing? How well are we integrating with our peers and in different teams and across the business and that kind of thing. So that speaks more to the quality engineering side of the job title. And the senior expert thing is just a very, (laughs) I've never had that before. That's a very company specific 
job title. I think it's just about levels within mm. the organization. That's all. I so say it's- because a lot of companies don't want to. Well, I don't know if the company doesn't, but sometimes people also don't want to say they're an expert. So I was shocked yeah. saw senior expert because I'm like, okay, this is different. <laughs> Yeah, so shout out to any of my teammates that may or may not run into this. But yeah, it denotes where you are in, in the level. And you mentioned actually being in the quality engineering role that you have to interact with the business. Not to say that quality assurance analyst or whatever the title name may be, don't interact with the business, but I feel like that's a little bit different. So curious to know in your role, how do you interact with the business? So first and foremost, that's with our product owners. So we have product owners on our team, product managers, and their role is to go off and figure out what is the next thing that we should be building and implementing right. and, you know, coming up with a compelling reason for why that's the next thing that we should do. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, they, and so we work with them to help them answer that question because some of the stuff that impacts that question are technical. So the example I like to give is I know All I can do is drive a car. That's all I can. I know nothing about cars. Okay. Everybody knows more about cars than me. (laughs) But when I take my car to the mechanic, who is the expert in cars, what the mechanic cannot say just unilaterally is, okay, I figured out what the problem with your car is, and it's going to cost you $10 million to fix. And it's going to take two years Mm -hmm. because you would make that fix. You would go, "Eh, excuse me. No, you need to explain what's going on here. (laughs) And So it's like a tension between, well, I'm the person with the resources and I'm going to decide where is the best place to allocate them. Because maybe in that, in that hypothetical situation, I have to go on holiday in two days and I need my car to do that. So it's like, okay, what can I do in two days? Like, I hear what you're saying. Like, it's a massive problem, two years, but I need a solution in two days. So what can we do instead? And it's that conversation and that Mm trade-off that people like me have with our product owners and and the devs and everybody else just rounding out the world of testing how did you even get into testing because i don't think (laughs) a lot of i'll say from my experience what i've seen there's not a lot of diversity in testing and so i'm curious how you found out testing was a career path for you so i realized recently that i there's this thing in testing where we say none of us got into it deliberately we all fell into accidentally But I realized recently I actually did it deliberately. So rewind back in the day, my goal was to become a games designer. That was my thing. Video games were my life. I want to work in video games. And one of the routes that I thought I could use was games tester, games designer. So I deliberately went after a games testing job back in 2002. But I was unsuccessful with with the application. But the company was just about to expand their internal tech support team. And my customer service experience at the time lent itself very well for that. So I was like, yeah, so would you like to apply for that? I was like, yeah, definitely, because I'll get my foot in the door and then I can jump to test games testing. I can jump to games design. Right. So I did that. I got the job. And then a friend of mine who was in the test team at the company, so he was into animation. So quick tangent, he's, he's now like worked on some crazy movies that you probably have all watched like Paranorman and Coraline and, um, just crazy, like super, super big movies. But anyway, he came to me and he said, shout out to you, Malcolm. He was like, okay, Vern, I'm about to hand my notice in, in five minutes. 
So in six minutes, I expect you to be at the manager's desk saying you want that job. So I was like, (laughs) so that's what I did. And I stayed in that role for three years in total at that company. But here's the thing. During that time, I was really getting onto my then manager about training. I was like, listen, man, I need to get some training. I want some qualifications. This is outrageous. Everyone's getting paid more than me. This is no good. I want to get better. You're not supporting me, blah, blah. And I found out about this qualification, which in Europe and beyond is fairly well known, called ISTQB. Don't ask me what that stands for because I can never remember. But it's a it's a testing qualification. Okay. In fact, in fact, when I did it, it was called the ISEB. So I S E B. That's how old I am. So I found out about this qualification, and I just remember going onto some job board, and I was like, "Okay, what is the deal with this qualification?" So I, I put this qualification into the job site. Okay. All of these jobs started coming back. It's like, huh? I can work at British Airways doing software testing. What the hell? I can work at Vodafone. What are you saying? Just completely blew my mind. And then I looked at the salaries because anyone who's worked in games knows that at least back in 2002, the salaries for a games tester were minimal. Mm. And I was looking at these salaries and I was like, whoa, excuse me, I'm going to get paid how much? And I was looking at the job descriptions. I can do this. I can, oh, I can do that. Oh, I can do that. Oh, I'm doing that. And then from there, it was a wrap because I enjoyed the job. It was at this really nice nexus of people and business and technology. And in the middle was software testing. I was like, this is fantastic. So, and then when I found out it was a career and you could get paid more than, I was like, okay, I love your games, but (laughs) time for me to bounce. (laughs) I've got to get out of here. (laughs) So that's what I did. So you mentioned that testing is people, business, and software. Technology. Yeah. Technology. So can you explain how all three of those pieces actually touch a tester? Yeah, for damn sure. So first thing, obviously, is the technology. So as a tester, you will be working on all the things, like all the technology. If you move from even within your your organization, there will be potentially different tech stacks within each team. And so you have to understand, you know, one minute you might be testing on a website and the next minute you might be testing on a mobile device, or you may be testing something on the back end. And all of those three domains, just those three alone, Mm -hmm. have just a a plethora of different technologies, coding languages, tools, paradigms that you have to get your head around. So you can, as a tester, you can go all the way down that track and have a wonderful time. Or you can focus on the people side of things, which is management or leadership or it could be on the side of maybe being um, going down usability testing or accessibility testing which is testing for specific kinds of users or what is the experience of people who use our application and how can we make it better so that's the people side so it's about leadership getting your team unstuck or focusing on the customer and then you've got the business which is around how does this thing make us money like what problem are we solving for which people? And if you've got that front of mind when you're testing, I'm about to make a confession to the public and don't judge me, I don't care. (laughs) My favourite smartphone is BlackBerry and it's also my favourite example in this situation. So who now, when they're making a mobile app, makes is like, whoa, 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 we've got to make sure that we test it on a BlackBerry. It's like, no, because none of your your customers are using a BlackBerry. Right. And if by some weird, bizarre set of circumstances you, you were even planning on 
putting a lot of time, energy, and effort into making sure that your application works amazing on a BlackBerry, that wouldn't serve the business at all. That's a very silly example of what I'm talking about. And the truth is, I talk about these three things as if you can focus on one and ignore the other two, but that isn't actually what happens. You do focus on one, but they all kind of blend together, I would say, to some degree, but you can definitely focus on one or two Excellent. Thank you for breaking that down. And also thank you for reminding me how amazing Blackberry used to be. Because right. there, there was a time Man, when everyone listen. wanted a Blackberry. Everyone wanted to work at Blackberry. Let's not forget. Right. right. I still, man, anyone out there, if you're, you know, making a Blackberry clone on Kickstarter, holler at me, please, because I will <laughs> I I want my physical keyboard back. I don't get on with the soft. Mm. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that part. Yes. Nightmare fuel for me, but yeah. (laughs) I might have confessed too much. Please come back. Don't leave the episode. Stay. (laughs) Vernon, you've given a lot of information around the role itself, but one thing I want to ask, especially for people who are thinking about getting into testing or already in the testing field, what do you recommend that they start learning or studying to become a great tester? Oh, that's very, very cool. So I tried to come up with this very clever sounding tweet a few months ago, which was like, like the hard skills will get you the job and the soft skills will keep you in the job. Yes. So you need to focus on both of those. So if you're completely and utterly brand new, and maybe even if you're not, you can think about like, look at the market, look at the job boards and think about and do some kind of level of analysis on what are the in-demand skills for testers at the moment there's definitely an an emphasis on the technical skills and so i would focus on those and see which ones are more popular than others but that can also be a bit of a trap because learning those tools like the seleniums of the world and the playwrights in the world and the cypresses of the world i don't think they will help you add value to your team i would also add into that critical thinking and lateral thinking and systems thinking so that you can start to articulate why you're doing the test that you are going to do and why you're not doing the test that you're not doing. And then when it comes to soft skills, and this is where I segue smoothly into coaching, (laughs) um, (laughs) I'm super hype about coaching right now, like insanely hype about coaching. I think coaching gives a nice frame around Everyone knows that soft skills are important. Everyone knows that communication is important. But if you if you look at things through the lens of coaching, it, it helps make it more practical and understand why it helps and why it's effective. So there are like three foundational things to coaching that, I, that I've learned over the past few years. One of them is unconditional positive regard. The other one is active listening. And the other one is powerful questions. And so unconditional positive regard is, I like to say, just assume everyone is not a complete douchebag. Like everyone that you run into at work that disagrees with you is not like, how di- how dare you? I am the great and glorious Dina and I know everything about this topic. How dare you disagree with me? Now, it's not that you're not great and that you're not glorious. It's just people have different experiences. People have different stories. They arrive at their conclusions, however they arrived. And it's just a way of saying, okay, let me assume that they have everything they need to solve the problem or address the opportunity, except perspective. And 
assume that everybody is at least 2% right. And your job is to find out what is the 2% where you would agree. Mm-hmm. And that's where the active listening and the powerful questions come in. Because active listening is around listening to understand yes. instead of listening to speak. Yes. So like, I like to talk as you have noticed, and I like to like make silly little jokes and this that, and the other, but actually when you're trying to be present in a conversation or a situation, your goal is understanding. So, you know, yes, yes, you can build rapport with people with little jokes and things, but if you're paying attention and not just listening to the words, not just waiting for them to stop talking. So you could launch in with your amazing joke or devastating wit, you will learn where they're coming from. And you're listening to not just the words, but how they say the words. You might want to start to probe why they used this word and not a different word. Do they sink into themselves when they said the thing? Or do they expand and light up when they say the thing? Like that's active listening. You're noticing everything. And then the powerful questions is essentially questions that you ask to help the person you're asking understand the situation more so than you. Yes. And they are open in nature. So I could say to you, are you okay, Dina? The answer to that question is yes, or it is no. Right. It's binary. It's closed. Or I could say, how are you? And you could say, oh, well, actually, you know, I'm having a fantastic time talking to this very intelligent, handsome dude from the uh, UK. It's oh, oh, great. Amazing. And so that enables you to expand. So if you use those three soft skills in combination with your technical skills, because us software development nerds have a stereotype of putting on the noise cancelling headphones and just beavering away on our computers. The people who can do that and who can take their noise cancellers off and interact with the humans, they usually go a long way. That was an extremely long answer. I do apologize. No, and we're not taking apologies because I appreciate it. It was very insightful. Um, <laughs> a couple of things I want to call out. So one is the noise cancelling headphones stereotype. If yeah. you really look around and observe now, I do feel like people are multifaceted. So what I mean by that, oh, yeah. people have those soft skills. They can talk to people. They can explain it in a way that if you're not technical, you'll understand like from a business side. And I love that. I love that the stereotype is starting to go. Well, I hope it's already out the window, but I'll say starting to go out the window. And mm-hmm. also, I want to go back to active listening because I've observed lately, because you mentioned the piece of if someone like shrinks down or if they get excited when they say something or mm-hmm. how someone is actually present in the conversation, I mm-hmm. think, so I always call that reading the room. Like, are you reading the room? Yeah. And I think people take for granted that skill set. A lot of people oh, don't yeah. read the room and then that's when confusion usually happens. <laughs> yeah. Now, why is that important for us in the software development space? And we're talking about testing right now and quality. Because as you rightly say, that's where the assumptions hide Mm -hmm. or the misunderstandings or the talking past each other. And that is, that is like, I don't know. It's like growth hormone for bugs. Like that's where they all hide. (laughs) They all hide there. Do you know what I mean? It's like all the assumptions that we make and all the misunderstandings, they all hide there. And And the other amazing thing about active listening that I've noticed is it's like magic for bonding. When you're really present and you show interest in what somebody's saying and you give them space to articulate themselves and fully get their ideas out before, in my case, I get super excited about what they said mm-hmm. and I interrupt them or I violently disagree. So I interrupt them again or whatever. 
if you just give people space, that builds trust because they know they can articulate themselves and it makes it safer for ideas to be shared. And then when everyone gets their perspective into the conversation, you've got more options in the conversation, basically, and you've got more chance of choosing the right option. And the good thing about using that coaching approach for testers is that it starts to empower the team to come up with their own solutions so that you don't become the bottleneck in the process. And that growth makes your life easier and it makes the team's life easier, I think. We keep mentioning coaching, so I never Mm. fully have told the audience, you are a quality coach. So mm. for people who are listening, what does quality coach actually mean? Because again, title, but what does it actually mean? So what I'm trying to distinguish is in my past life as a software tester or a quality analyst or you know whatever, I would do a lot of telling. Like mm-hmm. I was the expert and you were not the expert. So I'm going to tell you what to do because I'm the expert in testing. Whereas a quality coach, if you focus on the coach part of that, I'm trying to help you solve your own problems. So you're the expert in the situation because you know more about your situation than me. You know you more about you than I do. Mm-hmm. What I'm expert in is helping you get a new perspective. You've got everything you need, skills, talent, determination, everything, except the perspective to figure out what you need. So I'm expert in asking the right questions to help you gain a new perspective on the thing to go, oh, I got it. I know the answer. I'm going to go. I'm going to go and try this. I know what to do next. And the quality part of quality coach speaks to that thing around in the past, what we were asked to do in this role is to focus on finding bugs in the product with quality engineering. That's still there. There are now also some other things that are leveraged uh, that are put on top. We've all heard this term about shifting left. Now we're trying to shift left and right and back and forwards and up and down and all around and everywhere. (laughs) Because what we've come to realize now, or many people have, not everybody, is that you can take your testing skills and leverage them throughout the process. That question of, yeah, but does it work? Or like, what makes this a good idea? All of those testing skills, asking, because we do that naturally when we're testing, we ask open questions and we ask closed questions. They lend themselves very well to this coaching role and this quality role because you can apply your testing skills throughout the process. So that's what that's what I mean by quality coach. I'm trying to help the team own and solve their own quality and testing related problems. And also with coaching because I feel like we are in a time frame where a lot of people want to not just like quality coaching but coaching in general, you know, are kind mm. of stepping into that role. So I want to hear more from your perspective of How did you know that that coaching aspect was for you? And then also, how did you move that forward to actually like officially become a quality coach? (laughs) Shout out to my friend, Amy Phillips. So I was working for Amy back in the day. She was the head of quality at a company that sold, um, that basically matched music fans with music events. So performances. So I worked there for a few months as a freelancer contractor. And it came to the point where she and they had decided that they were going to terminate the contract. They weren't going to renew it. So when she was giving me that information and giving me some feedback on how things went, she was like, Hey Vern, I've noticed that you, you bond with the team unbelievably fast. Like, but then you don't take advantage of it. Like you don't do anything with the fact that now this team trusts you. Mm. Have you ever thought about coaching? And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't even know what that is. Like, what coaching? What is that thing? 
So she explained a little bit about it and, and she um, told me that a, a mutual friend of ours, shout out to Toby Sinclair, who was a tester like me, but had learned about coaching and he was, he was down this path of exploring coaching. So she's like, why don't you go and have a chat with Toby about it? So I did. And he clued me into some stuff. And from there, I was like, whoa, this, this is pretty cool. And then but I didn't do any training until maybe three or four years later. But in that three or four years, what happened was when I finally came around to doing the training, this is so, so now we're talking. So I had that conversation with Amy in like 2016. Okay. And I finally did what I call some proper coaching training in 2020 with Barefoot Coaching. Shout out to them. What I'd realized is that I have some natural attributes when it comes to coaching. So I, I basically think everybody's awesome, not in a Lego movie kind of way, <laughs> but more in a, I don't know if you remember this old TV show called Heroes. There were these two Japanese dudes in it, right? So if you haven't seen Heroes, basically one day, a bunch of people spontaneously wake up with two flowers. It's like, what the hell's going on here? It's two Japanese dudes. There's one dude called Hero irony he has the power to control time and space and he has a best friend called ando who has no superpowers whatsoever until season three and he gets the superpower to amplify everybody else's superpowers so when i say that i think everybody's awesome i feel like it's like that i basically i'm just i just think i'm surrounded by people who are absolutely incredible all the time and just by me interacting with them they get self-belief let's say or Mm. something i say or do helps them realize that they are actually amazing and they go and do some stuff. And I was able to understand a little bit, at least, about how I was making that happening. And a lot of it was down to unconditional positive regard, thinking everybody's awesome and listening and not telling people stuff all of the time. I wasn't perfect at it because I had some epic failures in that four-year time where I did not do that. Oh boy, that's a whole new podcast. But uh, (laughs) um, yeah, so that's how I got into it. I got into it because somebody suggested it to me. And when I looked into it, I was like, oh, yeah, that does actually seem like a good fit. And then when I did the training, I was just like, this is it. Like, this is me now. Mm. And, the, and, the, and the combination between testing and coaching, I was like, this is like a perfect match. Because remember how I talked about open questions and things like that? So as testers, sometimes the questions we ask our software are binary in nature. It's like, can I do X? Pass, fail. Mm-hmm. And then some of the work we do is what happens if I do X? I have no idea. Let's find out. And that I find is very analogous to open questions and closed questions, which is, are you okay versus how do you feel? And so it was a very easy like jump to make. And I found that I had much more success with teams when I would listen first rather than just charge in like, I'm the great and glorious Vernon, the testing God. You will do as I say. Do this thing. You suck at this. You know, how to make friend enemies and alienate people would be the title of my book if I wrote one in that period. (laughs) Um, That's how I got into it. And I I have no regrets. And now I spend a lot of time talking to people, particularly people in the quality space, but anyone in the software development space about the benefits of using these coaching skills and these abilities and these perspectives and tools to make their lives easier on a team. Excellent. I like that. And, you know, you talk to different levels of testers being entry level to senior. So I Mm. think it'd be beneficial to just even walk through what are the different levels slash titles that people can be looking for when it comes to being a tester. So let's go like the journey of testing from an entry level role to a senior role. So 
high level, what you will find is, and this applies to any knowledge worker role, I guess, is when you first start as an entry level, you, you're worried about your own performance. So as a software tester, that would look like, I'm going to learn the tech stack that our application is built with, and I'm going to learn the context, so the domain, the business context, and I'm going to learn who we serve. I'm just going to focus on that so I can find the right bugs when I'm testing. And then you start to zoom out and you start to kind of say, oh, okay, what tools can I use to leverage my testing? And then you might say, okay, where are the bugs in the system that are adding friction? Like, where's the friction in the system that's slowing down this delivery or slowing down this testing or having a negative consequence on quality? And then you might get in a situation where it's like, you know, it would be better if we just stopped a lot of these bugs happening in the first place instead of putting them in and then spending time finding them. So what job roles that, I mean, they're pretty broad. So you could be called a tester, a quality assurance engineer, a quality analyst, a test analyst, a quality engineer, an SDET, an automation engineer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe I would be a junior automation engineer, or maybe I would be a senior quality engineer or a senior expert quality engineer. <laughs> oh my gosh. All bow before me. I am a senior expert. Uh, but yeah, so that's, and I think that seniority speaks to where is your impact? Where do these organizations want you to have the impact? So if you go from a junior to a senior to a staff level to a head of, or you know, whatever, mm-hmm. like your impact starts, your blast radius starts to increase. Right. So it will start in your team and then it will expand out to your teams next, like adjacent to you, your peers and other teams. And it, and then it just kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I've got a blog post where I actually talk about job roles. Okay. I'll also put that in the show notes as well so people can read it. And you know, you were talking about the different levels, junior, mid, senior. Mm. And so we talked about, I think from a, I think we talked about a little bit from the entry level position, from the entry level position, like what that would look like, you know, things you can do, but Mm. what resources do you have for them in regards to testing and what they should be learning? Any websites or books that you have for your recommendations? Oh my God. Yes, I do. So anyone who's come across me in the wild, will know that I do a lot of work with Ministry of Testing. I should be wearing a Ministry of Testing hat for this talk, and I actually don't have one. That's outrageous. So the Ministry of Testing, ministryoftesting.com, their their motto is co-creating smarter testers. They are a community of software testers that help you build your skills in a software testing space. So I would definitely head over there. They have lots of free content that you can avail yourself of, and they also have a pro membership that you can take advantage of that gets you access to a whole bunch of even more material. One of my favorite articles on that website was written by my pal, Heather. I think the article is called 30 Things That Every New Software Tester Should Learn. And it's this blog post on the Ministry of Testing site that just lists out all these amazing resources that software testers can use to level up their skills. So I would go there. Another thing that I resource I'd point people to is the Test Automation University that was started by Angie Jones when she was at Appleton. Oh, I'm wearing Appleton's t-shirt for you. Yeah, so that is a website completely free where you can go and you can learn a lot of testing-specific 
tools. So things like Cypress, things like Playwright, things like Selenium, things like Java, API testing, Jenkins. What the hell is Jenkins? All these kind of things. You can go there for free. I would definitely send people to that. My friend Nicola Lindgren has a book called Starting Your Software Testing Career, which you can get on Lean Pub. Uh, highly recommend that. Uh, and she is writing a follow-up book to that, which I'm helping her with, actually. We haven't got a name for it yet. Oh, but um, in the meantime, get over to Lean Pub and look for the book by Nicola Lindgren called Starting Your Software Testing Career. Tons and tons and tons of good advice on there. But the other practical thing I would advise people to do is probably two things. One is to build up some kind of portfolio like find a way that you can demonstrate your knowledge and create some kind of evidence that you know how to use the things that you've learned. The second thing is to network because it's one thing trying to apply for a role as a stranger, but it's another thing applying for a role as a friend or an acquaintance or somebody. Oh, I remember that person. I met them at the meetup and they were like fired up and they were ready. like, okay, let's, let's chat to that person. So that's what I would do. I would head to ministryoftesting.com Use whatever free resources you, you can get your hands on there. I would head to um, Test Automation University and use the free resources there. I would avail yourself of the Starting Your Software Testing Career book by Nicola Lindgren. I would find the article by Heather Reed, 30 Things All New Software Testers Should Learn, and get yourself some meetups, some online ones, you know, Content like this that Dino is creating, like show up in the comments. Like if Dino if Dino ever does a live, like show up to the live and just make yourself known to the people who are out here trying to do stuff. And you'll quickly start to build relationships with people. And it's that network that's really going to help your search. Plus applying for a job is a job. So you need to tackle it pretty intensely, actually. Yeah. And it can be tough. So get a support network in place. Because there are going to be rejections. There are companies still that, for whatever reason, will not give feedback on why you were not successful. So you, you're like, I don't even know. So you get the rejection and you're like, okay, I didn't get the job, but why? Like, is there anything I can work on? Nothing. Crickets. That absolutely sucks beyond all measure. So get a support team, friends, peers, other people looking. That's what I would do. That totally makes sense. Thank you for all the resources that you shared because those were quite a bit and for your insights. And then actually speaking of insights, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you have been in tech for over two decades. And so I have to ask, what are your top three lessons you've learned thus far? I know I'm capping you at three, but. Three, blah. <laughs> okay, specifically for software testers, embrace the new technology. Over the 20 plus years I've been doing this, there have been um, decrees some tongue-in-cheek, some very serious about software testing being dead or software testing not being a, a very good career to go into in terms of future-proofing. Now, take this with a pinch of salt because I am biased, but I don't think that's true. And the reason I don't think it's true links back to what I was talking about before in terms of it's really at that, it's a really good sweet spot between business technology and people. And you can leverage that to your advantage. I'm not saying it's easy to do, but I know people that started off in software testing who are now VPs of, heads of, staff engineers of, couple of CTOs, couple of CEOs. And I think that's because of that exposure to all these different perspectives and skills. So that would be my first bit of advice is don't be put off 
whether you're trying to look for a career in software testing or you're in it and you're wondering what to do next, embrace all the new paradigms and all the new technologies because things are only getting more complicated. You know, we've got AI now. We've got machine learning. We've got crypto. We've got Internet of Things. We've got self-driving fridges. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Like, like you're never going to learn all of this stuff, but you need to develop this comfort with picking up new skills and picking up new things quickly. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I learned, and I learned this from the late, great Jerry Weinberg, which is everything is a people problem. And so take that shit seriously, because I think it's true. Everything is a people problem. We are humans working together to build products to help other humans with whatever problem they have going on in their, in their life. That's basically what we're doing. So if you ignore humans, good luck. I reckon you could get further by like remembering that humans are central to everything that we do, whether you're talking about building the thing or using the thing. And the final thing I would say, this is cheesy as hell, but don't forget the why. Start with why, as Simon Sinek would say in his famous book. Start with why. So if you are embarking down this career path, or let's say you're in a, oh, I didn't even get into that, manual testing role, and you want to go into an automation role or a leadership role or whatever, data, performance, security, so many different flavors of testing you can get into understand why you want to do it. Like what's going to be different once you achieve the goal? Because achieving the goal is so bloody hard and it's probably going to take a bit more time and a bit more effort than you envisage at the start. So in that moment when it's difficult, the only thing that's going to save you is sticking to the path and having belief that you're on the right path in the first place. And that it's worth getting to the destination. So that's what I would do. They're the three things that I've realized over the years. Amazing. Those are some top-notch experiences. And ooh, I'm just taking all of that in. But while I'm taking that in, I want to know what's in the future for you. And also, how can people who are listening to the podcast support you in any way? Oh, man, I should have I should have had my cash out right now. Okay. Um <laughs> Send your money to no, it. So I write blog posts on Typeshare. So you can find me on typeshare.co forward slash Vernon Richards. Vernon Richards, all one word. You can find me on all the social medias as Tester from Leicester. Leicester is spelt in that very annoying British way where it doesn't make sense. So Leicester is L E I C E S T E R. But because character limits, it's Tester from L E I C. So find me on all the social medias there. Hit me up on LinkedIn. I have a website called vernonriches.com. And as for the future, I'm just going to keep helping the company where I work keep pushing because the mission is absolutely fantastic there. I do speaking and training engagements, and I'd, and I'd like to get more into that. I'd like to do more of what you're doing, Dina, and create content for people to consume online. So I might, you know, hit you up and absorb as much wisdom from you as, as possible. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I'm currently excited about, if I can get another five minutes. So I think there is a connection between glue work, quiet quitting and quality engineering. I've been to a few conferences this year and that's what I've spent my time talking about, building on those ideas about, you know, what is glue work? What is quiet quitting? What is quality engineering? What is the relationship between those things? How not understanding the relationship between those things is, is actually setting your quality engineers up to fail 
or burnout mm. and what can we do about it? That's what I spend my time talking about this year as well as coaching. So if you want to hear more about that, hit me up. I've got a post about it on my blog and I'll see if I can get you some links to videos where I did the presentation because I think they do exist. I just don't know where they are. Probably YouTube. <laughs> Probably YouTube. Oh yeah, I've got a bunch of talks on YouTube. So go on YouTube and Google me, uh, Google, search for me and I'll be there talking about coaching and testing and stuff. I'll and Vernon, you have provided so much insight today and a lot of great content. So I appreciate you for that. But I also want to give you the floor for any final thoughts or anything we didn't cover in the episode. So now the floor is yours. If you're an existing software tester, I just want to double down on that whole embrace the tool. So the current new hotness is AI. It would behoove you to not be scared of it, but also don't poo-poo it. I would say also don't get overly like it could solve all the problems and it can solve no problems. They're the two extremes. Like play around with the tools and experiment and see where you can make it useful in your process and see what kind of testing it enables or empowers or see how it can detract from that. And that's what I would advise you all to do. So don't be scared of all these AI tools. They are, they're only there to help us and figuring out how they're useful and how they're not useful. I think getting a really good handle on that is, is a really, really smart thing to do. I have to take my own advice on that and dig some more into that. So, um, yeah, get stuck into the tools, get stuck into the critical thinking and think about how you can add value to your teams. Yeah, embrace the change. That's what I would say. Thank you for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It will help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.